All right, everybody, we're going to go ahead and get started, and I'm going to talk, uh, we're going to take up prayer requests and talk a little bit at the end instead of doing that at the beginning, and that way anybody that is joining us uh, can uh, get in on the teaching right away uh, instead of waiting around. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I titled the, the teaching tonight, Time is Short. And I think that you will see why once we get into the text here. But before we do, uh, before you read the Bible, you should always pray that God will open the word to you and that uh, you will have an open heart to receive what he has to say. Uh, Jesus went to the synagogues in his day and they were not all teaching the truth and they were not all on target, but uh, he still went and he still received and he still learned and he still grew. So, uh, you know, you can go to a church that maybe... Uh, is not, uh, I don't know, as energetic as you would like, or maybe the teaching is not exactly what you would like. But if they're teaching the Bible and you go there with a willingness to receive, then the Lord's going to speak to you. If you open your Bible and you really want to receive, then God will speak to you. He really will every single time. Um, and this is why I really encourage people to, um, you know, for instance, if you're just kind of, I don't know, winging it and you're just opening your Bible, or I guess, you know, if you're on your app, you're just picking something. Um, you need to really pray before you do that. You need to have a, a plan. So I have a number of different lectionaries that I read from in the morning, and uh, it is from that that I select a passage every day. For those of you that would like to get in on that, um, all you have to do is text the word, T-H-E-W-O-R-D, to 94000, and it'll drop you right into that group. Um, and then I send a passage out and it has a link and you can click the link and it will take you to the Bible app and then it'll say read chapter and you click that and you can read the whole chapter, which is what I encourage. What I was doing previously, um, in fact, Lige, if you look in announcements, you can find the, uh, the little announcement that tells how they can get on my, uh, on my read through the, the Bible, uh, uh, daily passage. I was calling it daily Bible and it was a daily chapter. Now I'm sending out a daily passage. What I suspected was that not everybody was reading the whole chapter every day. So then I started sending like a little kind of theme or introduction or part of a verse. And then I thought, you know what, just in case people don't read the whole chapter, they don't have time or they don't not willing to take the time, I'll at least send them an important verse, right? Um, so yeah, you can do this. Uh, Go to Flocknote and check the, the Daily Bible. That's, I'm sorry. You can do that, the word thing, but I forgot I, I changed it to Flocknote because I, uh, I do it every day. So scrap what I said earlier. Go to lifewell.flocknote.com and register. It's basically just create a little login there. And then you can put yourself in any group that we have, right? So uh, you can put yourself in Craig's Bible study group. Uh, you can put yourself in the daily Bible group. Uh, you know, if you're in my karate class, you can put yourself in that. And then basically any texts that I send out from Flocknote, you will receive. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a good way for you to manage. And then if you're not attending something for a while because you had to you know, back out or whatever, then you can just uncheck it and you won't get any uh, text messages for that. So it's really entirely up to you as to what you want to do with Flocknote. But that's true. Lifewell.flocknote.com and then check the Daily Bible. That's what I've been sending it from. Um, but for instance, I sent a rather lengthy passage out this morning. What, is, what was it from? Like Psalm 119? Is that the one I sent? I was thinking about sending 119. Is that the one I sent? Uh... 
Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Or no, I sent, I sent, I might have sent another one. I don't know. If you get it, then you can see what I sent because I already forgot. I do read a bunch of scripture in the morning and uh, I'm always trying to pray through not only what the Lord wants to say to me, but what the Lord wants to say to we, right? What the Lord wants to say to us. So um, I'm offering that as an opportunity. Pardon? Psalm 81. Okay, that's right. That's right. Very good. I know why. Uh, I know why on that one too. So uh, that was a, a passage about uh, vindication. The Lord will vindicate the righteous. Um, Psalm 81 is a great one, uh, but it makes references. See, the thing is, this is why it's important to have a study Bible and read the whole chapter because that Psalm makes references to the Exodus. And you might not have understood, you know, what is he talking about right here? This is weird, you know? Um, and uh, I don't want to dumb everything down. I want to pique your interest so the Lord can speak to you even over the details that you don't understand. But I hope you have a hunger to understand some of those details as well. And that involves you doing a little bit of digging. Uh, again, you know, get a study Bible. You can get one of those, you know, for your mobile device. And uh, it will have cross-references. Honestly, if you just read uh, your typical ESV, English Standard Version, it has great cross-referencing just the standard ESV does. Uh, in fact, today, um, they uh, the ESV has its own app, and of course, you can read the ESV on the Bible app. And uh, with the Bible app, if you, you go in there and you create your own profile, right? Uh, it's called Uversion, the one for your phone. Uh, you can just type in Bible.com on your, on your browser, and if you do that on the browser on your phone, it'll recommend that you get the app. Anyway, Uversion, the Bible app. And when you go into your own profile, you can turn on or off the indexing or the, uh, the cross-referencing, I should say, right? So you can turn the footnotes on, you can turn the footnotes off. So if you just want to read and you don't want to, you know, do a study and you just want to, you know, receive from the Lord quickly, read through something, or you don't want to be interrupted, then you can turn those off because otherwise there's all of these little patches in there that are designed for you to go up and click, and then it will you know, tell you this could also be translated this, or you know, here's the cross-reference and so forth. But that's a good way without even having to spend any money to have essentially um, you know, a study Bible. And then there's all sorts of study Bibles that are available out there. If you want recommendations on one, um, then ask me and I'll be happy to, uh, to give you that. But this app that I downloaded, um, I think it's just called uh, ESV. It's just called ESV Bible, and it's free. But uh, there is this lady, uh, her and her husband are very, very well-established and well-respected hymn writers. Her name is Kristen, I think, or Christine, but her last name is Getty. And she's got, I think she's Scottish. So, you know, it said, hey, she's reading the whole Bible. And I was like, yeah, it's usually a guy. And he's usually reading the Bible like this. It's like a radio announcer that's reading the Bible to you. And to me, that's really distracting. You know, that's not what I like. So that's why I've told you I read or listen to the Word of Promise Bible, which came out a long time ago now. But it has all these actors that read the passages. And it's great, right? Uh, some of the actors are better actors than they are readers. But in any event, that's what I've told you guys in Drama Club before. I, I'm telling you, there's some people that are just great cold readers. And there are some people that are not, and they're still good actors, but they just need to memorize their lines. Here's a good example. The guy that plays Jesus in this, Jim Caviezel. He's the one that played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. Well, obviously, he did a phenomenal job. I mean, he memorized 
his lines in Aramaic, right? That's just crazy. And then, you know, he does everything just so well, and he suffered through that thing. Like, I think he got knocked out three times and got something dislocated when they were, you know, doing the whipping and stuff. It was bad. I mean, you know, great actor, right? He's not a good cold reader. It's real obvious when there is a passage that he didn't really prepare for because um, he reads it real staccato, right? This Christine Getty lady. Now, I only listened to one passage. I listened to uh, John chapter 8, verses 1 through, it's either 8, 1 through 11, I think it is. Yep. Um, uh, and it's the passage about the woman caught in adultery. And I thought that would be a good one to hear a lady read. Great. So I'm looking forward to that. But see, that's the beauty of these things. You know, you can look at the passage I send you. You don't even have to do it through the Bible app. Just look at it and read it in your own Bible, right? Or get the ESV and you'll read it in that translation. I usually don't send out ESV. Sometimes I do. Uh, for you guys, I usually send out um, either the New Living Translation, sometimes the NIV. Lately, I've been sending out the CSB. Um, these are all legitimate translations, but there are more dynamic translations that I think will just, you know, kind of speak to you in your language. Uh, but nonetheless, the ESV is more literal. Uh, really, really good translation, though. But uh, I'm looking forward to hearing her read. And it's a good way when you're doing something like you're driving or whatever, instead of listening to talk radio, you know, listening to the bad news radio or listening to a bunch of people yell about sports or listening to secular music that's just leading your heart away, just listen to the Word, right? So I love to do that. I just, I have the Word of Promise Bible downloaded on my phone and I'll just like do New Testament and then I'll hit random. It's so awesome. It'll just go chapter here, chapter over here, chapter over here, chapter over here. And it's not out of context because it's not a, you know, a verse, first verse. It's a whole chapter. But um, yeah, I really like doing that. So lengthy introduction. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and for those that will join online later or who are with us right now. I pray that we will be open to what you want to say to us. I pray that uh, you will speak your word to our hearts. And if that is the case, then I have every confidence that you will, uh, you will create change in people's hearts, that uh, there will be uh, that catalyst for change that comes from your word. And uh, so thank you so much for speaking to us and thank you in advance for what you're going to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in this really lengthy passage. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's probably a passage that people skip over quite a bit because it digs down into some, uh, some very personal details, uh, some, uh, I don't know, perhaps some people would think that these things are more culturally conditioned. There would be the assumption that, well, you know, Paul was under the assumption that Jesus was going to return right away, and so that was... Uh, the reason why he was teaching the way he was teaching. But honestly, we need to be under the impression that Jesus is coming right away. We need to be ready for the return of Christ at any time, right? Otherwise, we're going to be like the servant that was, you know, caught without paying attention or like the, the 12, uh, I think it was, no, I think it was 10, 10 maidservants and five of them had oil for their lamps and five of them didn't and they were waiting for the uh, for the groom to come for the bride and they were supposed to accompany him. And, you know, the ones that weren't ready didn't have any oil and they couldn't go and they tried to go, you know, get some oil from the others and the others said, no, we, we can't do that. We, you know, we need our oil. We've got to have enough oil to accompany the, you know, the bride. And so they were left out. And I think that that's, 
the message is we need to be ready for Jesus to return at any time. Um, and, you know, there have been other times in history um, when people have looked around at the world and said, you know, it really looks like it's the end of the world. And it hasn't been. And it's been over 2,000 years now. So it would be easy to just, you know, say what people were saying uh, in Peter's day, toward the end of Peter's life, uh, what he wrote about in uh, his letters, where they said, you know, this is, I think, Second Peter, where, where uh, he's repeating that people said, everything is going on just the way it, as it has from the beginning of time. Where is this coming that he promised? And then Peter just reminds us that to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day gone by. If a thousand years are like a day gone by, we've experienced what? Two days. Yeah, so let's not, let's not even talk about all that, all right? From my perspective, I want things to happen now, right? And, you know, I'm tired of dealing with all this drama down here. I'm just like, Jesus, get me ready. Let's just go. Let's come back and let's get this done, right? But other people have other impressions. But I think that the reason that the Lord has left this passage for us is because he wants us to live our life as though Christ could come at any time. And uh, yeah, or you know, you don't know how long you have to live. You'll meet the Lord one way or the other you know, on the day that uh, you're called. All right, so here we go. Um, I'm gonna read verse 24 first, uh, and then we'll get into this passage, verses 25 through 40. Verse 24, he concludes uh, statements to bond servants saying, don't become bond servants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, there let him remain with God. And that's really been his viewpoint, right? Don't try to change social positions either laterally or, or you know, hierarchically. Don't be a social climber. Don't try to change the position you're in. Your, your focus needs to be on Jesus and following Jesus. And the practical of that is coming up now. He says, now concerning the betrothed, that would be the engaged, people that are engaged. I have no command from the Lord. When he says that, he means he has no direct command from Jesus. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Now, if you were engaged back then, it was pretty much the same as being married to that person you just hadn't moved in and you certainly were not intimate yet. So engagement today, uh, perhaps that's viewed, it's viewed that way by some people. Um, I don't know, some people don't even view marriage as being permanent. So I'm sure that those folks wouldn't see engagement as being terribly permanent. But it was, this is why in the story, um, this is Matthew's version in Matthew chapter, uh, end of chapter one and in chapter two, where it talks about Mary coming to Joseph and telling him that she's pregnant. Oh yeah, by the Holy Spirit. Well, initially he didn't know what to believe, but he loved Mary and so he was, and it says he wanted to put her away quietly. So it's kind of like a divorce, really. And, you know, he was, they, they were betrothed. And he was going to have to, without making a bunch of noise or accusing her of adultery, he didn't know what to think. I mean, what would you think? You know, you're young and you're married and, or you're not married, I'm sorry, you're engaged and your betrothed comes to you and says, the Lord came to me and said that I am going to be with child and it's going to be the Messiah and it will be by the Holy Spirit. And you'd be like, oh. Uh-huh. That would be very distressing, right? 
So he didn't want to outright call her a liar or anything like that. It doesn't get into his mental state, but it says that he was going to put her away quietly until an angel, the same angel that appeared to Mary, appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel apparently appeared directly to Mary, right, in a vision, but appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that is conceived in her is indeed from God, right? So he did. But I give you that story. Uh, Christmas is coming. It's not too far away, right? But I give you that story so that you'll understand how, uh, how formal the engagement relationship was and how, how much you were bound by it, right? So he says, I give my judgment as one who is by the Lord's worth, uh, mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So this is a difficult teaching. He's saying to engaged people, just don't get married. Wow. That's kind of tough. And earlier, he had said, what he's saying now? Don't seek a wife. Don't seek a husband. Um, so we'll get into this because I, I don't want to crush your hopes. Verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. That's why I titled the teaching tonight, Time is Short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, this doesn't mean ignore your wife, right? Uh, this, does, this means something I'll tell you in just a moment. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. That's what's behind all of this. That's why he's saying stay in your present social position because time is short. The present world, uh, the world in its present form is passing away. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxiety. So now he gives a, a, an earthly reason for this. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, or he's anxious about finances like I am. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So there's the other point he's trying to make. He's trying to say, I want you to have a pure devotion to Christ. I don't want your, uh, your, your commitment to be divided. Verse 36, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and is determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, so they would still be betrothed. In essence, they would kind of be permanent friends, but there would be nothing more than that, right? Um, uh, keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. This is a difficult teaching, but that's Jesus. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So again, he's already discouraged anyone from, uh, from dividing from a spouse 
if prior to one uh, of the the couple becoming saved, um, they you know continue in their marriage. He says, if you if you've uh, become committed to Jesus, then don't divorce your spouse just because you're committed to the Lord. But we find that the Apostle Paul is the one that taught, do not be unequally yoked uh, with unbelievers. So by no means should you be involved with, in any intimate way, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus or whose first priority isn't Jesus. It's not even a matter of saying, well, he's a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're Christians. Unequally yoked can mean an unequal commitment. You've got someone that's just sort of a nominal Christian that's living very worldly, but they're attracted to you and they like you, maybe even they love you, but they just don't love Jesus. Honestly, you don't need that, all right? That's, you're just, you're making trouble for yourself. And this is why you need to have this perspective that Paul is giving right here, live as if it doesn't matter, right? And what I'm gonna say in a moment is you need to pay attention to what the Lord's call is for you, right? Not what you want, what your passion is, uh, what your, you know, what your uh, intent is, but you need to seek the Lord's call for your life. Um, because if he calls you to be married, then the two of you are going to be more effective for the Lord than you would be able to be on your own. But if it's your decision and you press it, the Lord may give you what you want. And you may find that you're far less effective for the Lord, or you may find that that's not something you wanted after all, but you're stuck with it for a lifetime, right? Um, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Now, I related this to you either last time or time before last. Um, Barclay, William Barclay, believes that there is strong evidence that the Apostle Paul had been married. Um, because he was a Pharisee, and that was expected of him, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, in all likelihood, uh, and that would have been a necessity. So it is likely, uh, interpreters think, that the Apostle Paul is teaching from experience that when he became this strong believer in Christ, that his wife left him, and he just didn't seek to be remarried, uh, as he taught here, okay? So I'm not gonna dig back into all of those details. I just wanted to do uh, a verse by verse there, and then let's, let's look at the rationale here uh, the appointed time has grown very short, he says. And then he says, the world in its present form is passing away. So this is the basis for this entire teaching about remaining in the same social position as you were when you got saved. Our response to the reality that time is short should be, get this, there's an old rock song that says this, and I don't think it means anything about Jesus, um, but that you hold on loosely, right? You know that song? Anybody know that song? It's going through my head right now. It's probably a really bad song, so I'm sorry. <laughs> and none of you know it. So obviously, this is just something that's, hold on loosely, don't let go. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'd be a great rock singer. Y'all know that. <laughs> but hold on loosely to everything uh, and anything on this earth. Too many of us live like this life is all there is, right? Um, we're seeking to make some utopia of this world uh, to build our little kingdoms. And that's, we're just living as practical atheists, right? Uh, Karl Marx famously called religion an opiate, meaning, uh, his meaning was that it dulls the senses, keeping people from focusing on this life and its problems. 
he was an atheist. And so he taught uh, his followers to build heaven here, right? Build a utopia here. And for him, that was a communist socialist state. He wanted to overturn the, the states of affairs that he saw and Marxists to, down to our day. There are Marxists in the United States of America today and they have overrun the left. You used to have liberals and liberals were tolerant, willing to let people think what they would like to think and promote, promoted tolerance. But we don't have liberals anymore. Uh, many, and I'm, I'm not branding everybody, I'm not trying to just be political here, but many Democrats have become progressives and they have become leftists. They don't have that same spirit of liberalism. And of course, liberalism has a very bad uh, um, connotation to many people, but I, the, the term originally has a very positive connotation. That's why uh, I majored in a field in, at Baylor uh, in the liberal arts. I have a Bachelor of Arts degree, right? That's a liberal arts degree. That means that you sample from many different ideas and perspectives, and it gives you a, a, a good foundation from which to make healthy decisions. And professors are not hardcore telling you if you don't believe this and if you vote that way, you know, there's something wrong with you. That's exactly what's going on in our universities today to the degree that I can't recommend everybody go to university today. And if you do, you need to be very careful about where you go, right? Now, this is just like marriage. You need to seek God's calling and his purpose. Whatever your age, right? I got a couple of recent high school graduates in here. I don't wanna crush your hopes, man. The Lord has probably called you to get married. The Lord has probably called you to go to school, right? But you need to do what the Lord has called you to do not just what you want to do or what you're expected to do by your tribe or by your family. Find out what the Lord has called you to. And the first thing that we're all called to is to follow Jesus and uh, follow him very carefully. Um, well, the world didn't pass away as quickly as the apostles expected, but uh, this is likely uh, the only area where, as I said at the beginning, it is wiser to, to assume a particular outcome. Now, when I first uh, taught this uh, passage, it was fairly close to 2012. Does, does everybody remember uh, Teotihuacan in th 2012? <laughs> it's an acronym, Teotihuacan, the end of the world as we know it, right? So, you know, first we had uh, Y2K. Remember Y2K? Some of you weren't born yet. <laughs> All right. All of our computers are going to go on the fritz and everything is going to fall apart and you know, we don't know what's going to happen and nuclear devices are going to be launched and whatever. And so, you know, it was the first instance of everybody just kind of like, maybe we should shelter inside, even though we didn't use those terms. Right. And then there was a guy that put up billboards everywhere. I remember it was May. I want to say it was like May 21st. Let's say it was May 21st of like 2011. And he was some uh, fairly famous radio preacher, but he put up billboards all over the country that said that that was the end of the world. I remember I had two young people that I was shepherding around. And those of you that have been here forever, remember Eric and Eddie, and they were scared to death that day. They were with me the whole day. In fact, at the end of the day, we were in this room and I played Ip Man on the screen. <laughs> that was the first time I saw it, man, you know, but I did a little teaching on the other, but this has happened, right? I, I mean, there was a book in the 80s, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. And, and, you know, then it was the end of the Mayan calendar. That was Teotihuacan. 
right? That was 2012. You might remember that. You guys would have been, what, 9, 10, something like that. Um, so, you know, there have been these various times in history when people have thought the world was going to come to an end. But as I said earlier, we need to plan not on having some particular date. We just need to be ready at any time. We don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus did command us to watch. Uh, in fact, this is in the... Um, the message that he gave. We call this message about the end times that Jesus gave. We call it the eschatological discourse. I've taught you this before in here. So big theological term, but I'm trying to help you be smart, right? The eschatological discourse. And it means Jesus teaching on the end times. People always go to Revelation for end times. I would say, first go to Matthew 24, okay? And you'll find all three of the synoptic gospels have uh, a version of this eschatological discourse. But the longest and most detailed is Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, 42, Jesus says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So it's wise to live every day as if it were, if it were your last. Um, during feudal Japan, the samurai were taught by the Bushido code to quote, always keep death in mind. Now again, see, we don't like this. We don't like this kind of teaching. This sounds morbid, all right? Um, it's, it's, it's not Joel Osteen encouraging, um, but it's just wise, right? Be ready. That's what we're saying here. Be ready. Uh, the samurai were warriors and they knew that, you know, it was a, there was a good likelihood that they would get killed. Every soldier needs to have that in mind. You know, when you go into a battle, you might not come back. You need to be ready every single person. So all the more reason we should have folks in the army that are just completely committed to Jesus, not committed to getting drunk, you know, on every opportunity and womanizing and getting violent. It's like, no, your life could end and you're going to stand before God in judgment. And that's what you want to have to offer. You were a womanizing soldier. Great. That's awesome. You were a drunk. Awesome. Good job. Right? No, don't follow the crowd. You need, to, you need to stay as far away from that as you can. We always, we need to be wise, right? Um, so this, this changes your values. And as a chosen child of God, it dramatically changes your sense of worth because you know where you're going. You're not saying, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. You know, I, I, you know there's a good chance, maybe I'll go. But if I put my confidence and trust in Jesus who rose from the dead, then I have strong hope. Okay. Um, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who called on his name. It's like I said Sunday, call on Jesus name. You may have been in church your whole life, but have you ever stopped? Stopped. Stop all your presumption. Oh, of course I believe. Of course I believe. I've been in church my whole life. No, no, no. Have you ever stopped and said, Jesus, I believe in you. No, you said it. Your words, Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Lord. I want you to take charge of my life. I give you my life. Use whatever phraseology you want. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to call on his name to be saved. There's a pernicious teaching in uh, churches that were once gospel churches today that, that you know, that's, that's a bunch of nonsense, right? You know, this sinner's prayer, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Well, sure there is. I, I talked to you about it on Sunday. It was a very simple one. It was the, the, the sinner in the back of the synagogue who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
Yeah, no, there's no listed sinner's prayer, but there is a sinner's prayer. Anybody who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You, you need to actually do that. You see, salvation is intentional. You need to make that determination for yourself. You need to make that decision for yourself. And it is on that basis that you get baptized. And that baptism is actually the confession of your faith. And Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny me, I will deny you. So it's important. You know, we once had a cultural recognition of this in the wake of Billy Graham and evangelism everywhere. And now, no, not so much. I mean, we've just kind of rocked back into religiosity and, uh, you know, turning our churches into places for social gathering or, you know, uh, political activism. And no, that's not it, man. We're, we're the kingdom of God sprinkled all over the nations. And when we gather together, even on nights like this, uh, we are the church. We are that part of the kingdom. And we need to be the salt of the earth and we need to be the light of the world. And that's why we gave little Asher the, the candle on Sunday and we sprinkled a little salt in his hand. And I thank Larry Venable, a pastor that I used to serve under, uh, for uh, giving me that idea. Um, in fact, Craig had to remind me of that Sunday morning. And that's why I forgot to take up the offering Sunday, by the way. I was so distracted by so many things and doing this and this and this. It, yeah, it's, it was just, uh, it was an interesting Sunday, but it was a beautiful baptism. All right, so as you make decisions about your earthly life, consider that this life is nothing but a vapor. It's a mist. It's like the dew that soon evaporates. Do you even see dew? Are you even up that early in the morning? Huh? No, no, it's just, it's just water on the grass. That's all it is, right? You go, it's cool. It's, it's a little humid, right? Sometimes, some parts of the country, if the, if the temperature's just right, you'll see that, that mist hanging over the grass, right? So it's dew. But by the time the sun gets hot, it's gone. That's your life. It's a vapor, right? You're a flower. The sun comes up, hits the, the flower, and it's gone. I've got flowers. I, I keep moving that bench. You said you were going to plant flowers there, and it took so long because my back was injured. But I have flowers in that bench out there, and they get withered. And so, like, I felt bad for them because that, that last that Wednesday I said that they were dead. I don't know what these are. Y'all are going to have to tell me what they are. But they wither, and they look like they're practically dead. And then you water them, literally. Like, two hours later, they're like, thank you, and they're back <laughs> And like, you know, a day later, there's like little flowers. Like they just don't, you know, you have to keep them water because there's not much soil in there. So Mary's a farmer. She would know why all this is. Um, but that's us, right? We got to keep watered. That's why you're here, getting the word. Um, and we're not going to last forever. The last thing that's important for us to, to know as we look at a passage like this with all these practical considerations is that we're going to be judged for what we do and what we've been given we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an answer for the life that we've led and to be rewarded for the good or bad that we've done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we will all stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, to give an answer for our lives. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for everyone once to die and then comes judgment. Always keep death in mind? Good samurai. I want to always keep judgment in mind. Now, I'm not scared that I'm going to be cast away from Christ because I have received him as my Lord. I've called on him to save me. But I do fear when I fail him, right? That I'm not going to have anything to offer in gratitude. 
Um, and I've said this many times, and you've probably heard me say it before, there will be no tears in heaven, right? No more pain, no more suffering. But I think there will be plenty of tears shed at the judgment bar of Christ. And that's before we get in, when we recognize what we did or we didn't do in this life. So um, the lessons to learn from this, really this whole chapter, uh, not just this passage, is number one, stay right there and wait upon the Lord. Now, that's a really cool song. You should look it up, right? I think it's just called Wait Upon the Lord. It's by these two bands. I keep telling you, you need to get this project and listen to it, right? It's called Old Church Basement by Maverick City Music and Elevation Worship. You really need to get this project and listen to it. But there's a song called Wait on the Lord, and they say this again and again, and they sing it, stay right there, wait upon the Lord. Stay right there. We're so impetuous and impulsive and petulant and, you know, we just want to get it done now and sign the contract and, you know, get the mortgage and get married and, you know, hurry up and spend some more money and make these major commitments in our lives rather than wait. Not just wait around, wait upon the Lord and cry out to him. And it doesn't mean do nothing. In fact, even in the song, it says, while you wait, worship. Worship the Lord, right? Call out to him. Ask and seek and knock. Jesus told us to do that. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open. This process of waiting is, is not passive, really. It's active. In fact, often in the Old Testament, when it's translated wait, it is also a word that can mean hope. Oh, hope in the Lord. You're waiting to see where the Lord wants to take you and what he wants you to do. Just like Jesus, you need to say, not my will, but thy will be done. So number two, seek God's will and his call, not your passion and profit. We're just little consumers. We're looking for what's going to move us and where we're going to spend our time and our money and whatever. But I need to seek God's will and his call. That's what you want. So in the end, the Apostle Paul is offering advice here, but you don't want to not be married and you don't want to be married. You want God's will. What's his call? Because if all you're thinking about is got to get married, got to get married, got to get married, got to get married, then you find somebody that's interested in you and you're interested in them and you just get married and then you find out, uh, wasn't a good idea after all, but then you're stuck. And that's it. You got to make it work one way or the other. So it's a big commitment. I honestly, I try to scare people apart. I tell them, you need to do this without planning a back door. This is supposed to be permanent. And I remember on at least one occasion, we were, we were doing church over here at the Seventh-day Adventist. Um, we're not Seventh-day Adventists, but we were renting space from them on Sunday because Seventh-day Adventists worship on Saturday. And there's a little house over there that's kind of beige now. It used to be yellow. So when you drive down Glenbrook, you'll see it over there on the left, right out in front of that uh, Hispanic Seventh-day Adventist church. And my office was in there. And I can remember sitting in my office and one of the people that I'm not going to mention right now is still going to this church. And uh, this person wanted to marry this other person. And I made mention, this is something you need to go into as permanent. And then I make people take steps. I don't officiate weddings if they won't do premarital counseling. I just don't do it. And I have had young people in my former youth groups that wanted me to marry 
that wanted me to officiate their wedding. And I just, I said, no, I'm not mad at them. They're just not doing what I ask people to do. And, and sometimes it's just, it's like really late. In fact, there was somebody, and this couple, they're, they're a wonderful couple. They're on my, I haven't met her personally, but they're definitely, they're an unbelievable match. They, it's, he's blessed to have found this lady. Um, but he was in my youth group back in the day and he wanted me to do his wedding, but they had already done a civil wedding and they, they just, they, it was just too sudden, right? And so I said, no, I, I, you know, I can't do that. He said, is there something wrong? Oh, I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm not against his man. And I'm thankful that he got married to this lady. I think it's wonderful, but I don't do that. You need to go through premarital counseling. And I ask people, and often they don't pay attention to me. I ask them, don't set the date until you're done with the premarital. Now, typically they've already set the date when they come and ask me to officiate the wedding, right? But why do I say that? Because I want you to continue to question. I don't want the questions to occur six months after you get married or a year after. I want you to question it now. And you know, it's interesting. There's so much that goes into a wedding. It's like people just don't want to ask those questions because, you know, the, the plans have already been made and the wedding hall has already been rented and the tuxedos and the wedding dress and all this stuff. And what happens if, you know, you call it off? Well, it would be, you know, it would be difficult. There's no question, but not as difficult as divorce. But see, the thing is, some people think, no, we'll just we'll deal with that later. You know, and they kind of push these things under the rug. The beauty of doing premarital counseling is you're asking these questions of each other. And oftentimes in a dating situation, um, you, you're putting your best foot forward, right? You know, you brush your teeth and got your hair nice. And, you know, you're wearing your good duds and you're wearing deodorant and maybe a little perfume or some cologne, right? And you, you know, you're going out to these really nice places or not even expensive, but you know, you're, you're always, you know, into the romance. Talk to married people before you get married because that's not what it's like, all right? That's a fantasy. Now, I always encourage married folks to continue to date and to cherish each other um, and to have mutual respect always. But see, the thing is, you're going to deal with their bad breath. You're going to deal with their bathroom habits. It's not even going to get into that, all right? <laughs> and you're going to deal with all sorts of things. You know, the two become one flesh. And, you know, to be honest, if you've ever looked at yourself in the mirror, maybe you're in fabulous shape, but it's like the flesh is the flesh, right? So you've got to have a really serious commitment. And then there's the money issues. Oh, goodness, does that split up marriages, Right? Sex issues and money issues, and maybe you haven't talked about those things. Guess what? If you go through professional premarital, you will, or I have a book that I've been having couples get and go through with a married couple. You do it yourself, and then you go to the married couple, and the married couple talks to you about it. Uh, but it's called Before You Say I Do uh, by, I think his name is H. Norman Wright. And uh, it's 13 weeks long, and it gets into detail. It gets into the dirty details, right? And uh, so if somebody can make it through that and still say, yes, 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 then that's great. Well, this couple, well, you know, when I just laid it out, I said, listen, this is permanent, right? You can't plan a back door. Within a month, they were apart, <laughs> all right? And they're each happily married and have been happily married for many years now to different spouses. 
Can you imagine? So I want you to second and third guess. I'm not trying to say, oh, well, this is what I think. No, I don't think anything, except you need to do what the Lord is calling you to do, and you need to realize that this is permanent, okay? Now, again, those of us that have been through divorces, I am not trying to lay some guilt trip on you and make you feel bad. I'm a child from a divorced family. I know that it's not this simple situation. Uh, you know, you've got two different people and you may be doing everything you're supposed to do and the other person is allowed, right? And they're abusive and they're adulterous and whatever. And basically they've, they've dissolved the marriage covenant is what they've done, right? Um, so I'm not trying to say that, but you, you need to have the, the plan that Jesus said that God has established. One man, one woman, life, right? Now I say all this about marriage because there's so much about marriage in this passage, right? Um, so seek God's will and his call. And then number three, don't hold on to anything in this temporal world. That was the substance behind all of those strange statements about if you're happy, don't act like it. If you're sad, don't act like it. If you're married, don't act like it. It's so weird, right? Well, all he's saying is don't hang on to that, right? Don't put all your hope in that. It's the same thing. It's kind of hyperbole. It's the same thing that Jesus was doing uh, when he had all of these people that were interested in him, these throngs were following him. And he turned around and he looked at him and he said, unless you hate your father and mother and brothers and sisters and wife and children, you cannot be, my, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. What? Does he want you to hate your kids? No. Does he want you to hate your spouse? No. He's saying, your love for me has to be so much greater that you can let these things go and let the Lord work how he wants to work, right? So we're dealing with a lot of drama about this building right now. And uh, I'll give you an update after the, the stream is done. But we have to not hold on to this. I mean, I'm thankful that we've you've been here for as long as we have and we'll be here for as long as the Lord wants us to be here. I think he's given us an open door and it's not gonna be closed by anyone but him, right? But if I were overly attached and, you know, um, then it would be really, really sad to think about uh, having to do something different or go somewhere else, right? So don't hold on to anything in the temporal world. Pursue the kingdom of God and not your own kingdom, right? Oftentimes, especially when we're younger, we're thinking about our life and our life is our plans and our purposes and so forth. And we're really thinking about building our own little kingdom. But what we need to be about the business of is building the Lord's kingdom. And that can be accomplished by a beautiful, strong family, right? And, you know, I think the Wilsons are a good example of that. And I use them because little Asher was baptized Sunday morning. And it's just great, right? Uh, I had uh, Pastor Craig baptize his own son. He baptized his own daughter. He baptized Jubilee. In fact, he can baptize anybody that wants him to baptize them. So I don't have to baptize everybody. I don't have to do everything. In fact, if it wasn't so busy, I'd have him preach more often, right? But I'm, you know, I'm worried about asking him these days when he's the assistant principal because he's just so overwhelmed right now. So I know y'all would like to hear him preach. You'll just need to pray that uh, he's able to clear things away a little bit more. But I say that they're a good example because their family is about serving the Lord. Their family is about sharing the gospel. And although I think Craig is wonderful, and I knew him when he was younger, and I think Rachel's wonderful, and I knew her when she was younger, they would not be anything without each other not nearly as effective. They are a power couple, right? So it's not one plus one is two, 
right? It's one plus one is a hundred, right? So there's there's an exponent that's stuck out there, and you know their their effectiveness is many times magnified. Um, so yeah, you need to seek the Lord's will. And then the last one is be completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus. He has to be your first love. If Jesus is your first love, if you love Him above all else, then you're going to be seeking to serve him and be devoted and dedicated to him and all of these other things will fall in line, okay? So uh, that's it for this evening. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 next week uh, talking about offering, uh, uh, eating food that has been offered to idols or sacrificed to idols. And as strange as that sounds, believe it or not, it has real application uh, for how we deal with things in the secular world.